This is the McCann Dogs Agility Podcast. I'm Kale McCann. And I'm Jamie Morrow. We are professional dog trainers, members of Agility Team Canada, and together we've been teaching dog agility for nearly 20 years. Some nights after teaching classes, we'll spend hours talking about training, about our goals, and also some of the challenges we're facing and what we're going to do to conquer them. And that's exactly what we're going to do in this podcast. Whether you're new to agility or competing at a world-class level, we're excited to have you listen in on our conversation. So let's head to the line. Part two. Part two with our good buddy, Yako. <laughs> He's the man. He's the man. Hey, you know what I was thinking about? We were talking about, so one thing that listeners might not realize that um, obviously we, we know each other, we all know each other from um, agility and, and dogs, but um, what they might not know is that you attended my wedding not long ago in Hawaii. <laughs> and what people also might not know is Yako's quite the cook. He's quite, he's quite good at cooking fish. He's quite good at cooking actually all kinds of things. I've eaten a lot of delicious food. Second talent. Me. Yes. Yep. He's great at agility. He's good at cooking. He's also good at drinking. <laughs> he's also, he's good at all kinds of things, actually. Um, anyways, I don't know where that came from. Uh, we are, <laughs> that, head, that head shake, if you're watching this, the head shake that he just did, this is the most common response to me that I get is that head shake. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, love I know. You missed me so much, didn't you? You just... I do. I know. <laughs> the travel ban. The, yeah, the, when the travel ban's over, either I, we're coming to Finland or you're coming here, buddy. That's for sure. Um, okay, we're uh, we've we have trip trickled over to part two because we um, had so much to say in the last one. We were talking about courses. We were talking about the Connect Commit Q. We were talking about all kinds of stuff, and um, we had more. We had more to say, so we thought we would. Uh, uh, go into a part two here with uh, with Yako, and we wanted to dive a little bit deeper into course walking um, because I think course walking is something that um, I know people people think about, but they don't like they don't really think about it thoroughly. And if you're a good course walker and you really know like what to think think about and what to look for when you're walking a course, it can massively change the outcome of your actual run. Um, so we, sh- we need to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk a little bit about lead changes and whatnot. But um, when it comes to course walking, what are a couple common things that you, or what are some of the biggest things that you think handlers m- don't know enough about or maybe misunderstand? Or I think that would be a good way to put it. I think maybe the most common thing what I see still is that people are very concentrating on what they are doing, but they don't necessarily take take the the virtual dog with them um, as much as I I would think that would be beneficial for them. So they think about, you know, here I do the front cross, here I do the blind cross, but... um, very often they don't kind of put enough emphasis on where their dog is in that that moment. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the concept of virtual dog, is that something you, you used to? Um, we don't do it a lot. We, 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 well, we do talk about it, but we don't do it as thoroughly as, um, as we once did. I think it's a good thing to revisit. So for those people who aren't sure what the heck we're talking about with a virtual dog, it's basically when people are walking a course, you actually, actually and truly envision your dog being there in the ring with you. And you, you completely visualize not just like a floating body that just happens to be, you know, moving through the air. You actually visualize them running and what they're looking like, how they're bending, how they're taking off so that you can um, practice your timing Timing. and your connection and and all of those things. But that's what we mean by virtual dog, because a lot of times when people are walking a course, as Yako had just said, they're thinking more about what their job is, what they need to remember. And they forget about how they should be doing what they need to for the dog. And then one of the most common reasons behind mistakes on course is because there's been a disconnection somewhere on the course. And so if that portion of your course walking hasn't been rehearsed through something like the use of a virtual dog, which I'll let Yako explain a little bit more about it, um, it's impossible to perfect it because 
you didn't practice that aspect of it in the course walk. So it's a really important, uh, really important element. Yeah, for sure. For me, I think that that's, I think that's the most, most common problem. It would be very easy way for very many people to kind of amp up their uh, performance in, in agility. Totally. Um, so they know the techniques, the dogs are well trained, but the preparation should be better. Mm-hmm. Um, I consider it's like a, it's it's like a blueprint, um, and the more detailed blueprint, I feel that uh, the better chance you have to get exactly the type of performance you you want. If it's uh, you know like a sketch, a little bit. Here and there and and everywhere and what, whatever, very often the run is is kind of uh, the same same type. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would think that if people would just put a little bit more effort in the in the uh, course walking and especially taking the virtual dog with them, I, I I feel that they would really benefit from that and their results would be just much much better. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a really good story about virtual dog. I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but um, years and years and years ago when my dad was still running agility, he was at like a regional. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. It was a jumpers course. Yep. It was a jumpers course. We were at a regional championship and he needed like a specific amount of points to qualify to be able to go to nationals. It was like his big goal. And he was running hero at the time. Do you remember hero? It was this dog that like screamed and was like, he was just crazy (laughs) around the course. Anyway, so my, I, I was there coaching. I wasn't there competing. And so my dad doesn't always listen to me, but he decided to listen to me. particular run and I worked him like you wouldn't believe he was out walking the course and I made him run his virtual dog for hero and I was outside the ring and he was inside the ring and he was walking running his you know virtual dog through and every time he would make a disconnection he'd be like stop where's your dog and I would be on him and then start again (laughs) yeah and I and like everyone was like god you're like a drill sergeant and I was like he has to get a clean run or he can't go on. So he needs to know what he's doing. Anyways, my dad was like uber focused and he was like, I'm going to get this. Anyways, he went in and he had probably the best run of his entire career. And he won jumpers by like two and a half seconds or something like absolutely bananas. And you have never heard so many people go absolutely stark raving mad when he crossed the finish line because everybody knew it wasn't just that he went clean. It's because that determined whether he went to nationals or not. And, uh, oh, he like was so emotional. He came out of the ring. It was like this big whole thing, but I will never forget that moment ever. But that, how many times do you think he ran his virtual dog? (laughs) Oh my God. I don't know. Like, 10. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I made him start over so many times, but that that is what made the difference for him. Being mm-hmm. able to um, anticipate and remember the some of the important points of where he needed to be and when he needed to turn and all that was exactly what he needed to show up better for his dog in the actual course. But that was like a really great memory. It was a good moment. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes such a difference if you know how to do it. Yeah, and sometimes I, I feel that very common questions uh, that I have been asking in training from my students is that they very often ask me uh, in some places that if I'm going to make it or not. Yeah. Do you think that I, I can make it or not? I said that, well, I don't know what you're going to do. You might make it or you not might make it. Maybe what you actually are doing has something to do about it. Mm-hmm. So, but, but if you're just thinking of if I'm going to make it or not, the question you actually should be asking from yourself is that how I'm going to make it. Yes. And then you take the virtual dog and and try to see that, okay, if I send her from here and then when she goes there, I start to run and then I'm in this, this place where she is there. And then there is, there comes an answer on the other side, which went, okay, so if I do it like this, then I'm going to make it. Yeah. Or if you go through all your options and you re- realize that, okay, still, I won't make it. That's a definite answer, also that one. So, but it, it's kind of a Hamlet-like question, like if you're just thinking, <laughs> am I going to make it or not? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. It's philosophical, but <laughs> I, I don't think it's very helpful in agility. <laughs> in agility. 
Yeah. So remember to ask the question, how I'm going to make it? Yeah. And then you kind of try to explain it to yourself. And and quite many people, for example, they have problems with uh, doing blind crosses up the tunnels. Mm. Because they are so afraid that, that the dog's going like, to take their legs out or how something. You are, how, how you can do a blind cross after after a tunnel, it's so scary. But it's always scary if you don't know if you're going to make it or not. Yep. If you already know that I'm going to make it, it's then there's nothing scary about it. Yeah. And that's how it should be. I, I'm, I'm not trying, like... You know, running for my life and, and hoping that, well, we'll see if I'm going to make it this time. I send my dog and I already know, like, I don't know, 20 feet, 30 feet before. Okay, I'm going to make it. No problem. Yeah, absolutely. So it's all pre-planned. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that that's, yeah, there's a lot of people that say, oh, I, I can't run my dog. He, you know. They're so fast. They're so fast, and I'm so slow. There was that. I don't that know happens if, a lot. If you guys still say the saying, but it's like it's not about how fast you run; it's how early you leave, or it's you know, yeah. it's not about how fast you run; it's about where you run. You know, I say to people all the time, I run one of the fastest dogs out there, and I'm not a f- super crazy. I'm a decent runner, but I'm not the fastest runner. And like sometimes when I watch myself back on courses, I don't even look like I'm running. But it's because I'm of where I'm running. I'm not literally running beside her the whole time. Oh, my God, that would just be the stupidest thing ever. I would never be able to do anything. But I think if people learned a little bit more about where the dog's going to be going and, and where, where they, they should, yeah, yeah they then should be. they can be a little bit more efficient. And in, in order, obviously, to make a good plan, uh, you, you really need to know um, and study your dog. So <clears throat> sometimes... Um, the most important thing is to know what your dog is going to do. So sometimes it, it doesn't matter if, if your dog is doing, for example, white turn. I don't like it, but I need to know it beforehand. Yeah. You know, I don't have to, you know, it has to be realistic. If I'm thinking that, okay, my dog is uh, collecting and, and turning super tight, and then she goes, you know, like, I don't know, 10 feet and makes a huge wide turn um i'm not prepared for that yeah but if i know really my dog and i know she's not the the best dog in uh, in collecting or whatever so sometimes i already plan the wide turn yeah because mm-hmm. then my my timing and my plan is is spot on mm-hmm. so it really doesn't matter sometimes if it's a good or bad thing the dog is actually doing and you don't have to like it but the most important thing is that you realize you know. that it's a fact. So this is how my dog is performing this. Obviously, if the dog is, you know, wider or slower or whatever, you can fix that. But sometimes it might be other way around that the dog comes to a different line, which is much faster than you thought. And then, then you are uh, in some kind of trouble if you didn't anticipate that already in the course walking. Mm-hmm. It's really um, important to know how exactly your dog is doing stuff. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about something. Do you, when you go to trials or competitions or um, whatever you whatever you guys call them, do you prefer to go when like Yanit is going as well, so that you guys can like dissect courses together? Like I know that's something that Jamie and I really like to do when we're when we're going to a competition we like being able to like walk the courses together because we know each other's dogs so well that you know it's easy to like bounce ideas off of because i think another thing that maybe this is a different direction but another thing that's very difficult about course walking for people um is you know watching how everybody else is doing it and then being able to have the knowledge and the confidence to say that's not for me that is not for me and my dog yeah so like i'm interested to know like i'm interested to know what happens with you and you need to at competitions like i'm sure you do your own thing yeah like, we don't really do <laughs> virtual dog stuff anymore because we have a pretty good sense of of although maybe in big competitions we do yeah we yeah. absolutely do but we haven't had any real competitions and trials in a year and a half yeah so <laughs> that's probably why we haven't been doing them but yeah but like does does you need to ever like if you're like walking a course or something does it does you need ever like bark at you and be like you're going to be late there or you should be doing this does that happen anymore or not really no not really not <laughs> not anymore um <clears throat> we try to help each other for years uh-huh. but um i don't think it played out very well <laughs> because it, sometimes 
sometimes what might happen is that even though you mean well, but if the other person has already like thought what she's going to do, and then you then comes another person comes along and you This really value her her opinion, and she says something, it makes you second guess. Yeah, and not as confident. Choices, mm-hmm. and I think I think we kind of made made a decision that um, every, we we both can do our own mistakes mm. because then we also have to take the responsibility of them. So I can't blame her <laughs> that you point. came and said something and messed my mind or or whatever. Obviously, it doesn't happen that way anymore. But you know where I'm going. I absolutely so, do. So and um, and the other thing is that. Even though we know each other's dog, but our style is a bit different. Your and handling style is very different. different. Yeah, you run exactly. completely different from one another. Yeah, exactly. And we, we, I think it's very important for everybody to understand that there is no one way of handling that can lead to a good result. Mm-hmm. Everybody have to find their own path. What works like, for them? Uh-huh. Yeah, what works for them and for, the, for that dog. dog. Yeah. And, and I think mm-hmm. I think um then the best best like judge about that is you. Mm-hmm. So and it's so I, I think uh, nowadays kind of we we might go through the course like a little bit and, and in general level if we are there, you know, discuss a little bit that but when we go in We kind of do, do our, your own our, thing. really our, our own thing, mm-hmm. and very seldom there is. Obviously, there would be something like like really stupid or whatever, or then obviously you would point out, but <laughs> that practically never happens. <laughs> and and the other other thing is that if if the other one is seeing, you know, in some place, dog after dog after dog is doing something, yeah, then you kind of point that out that okay. It seems because sometimes it happens that nobody knows. Like a, a really bad trap obstacle is the one that nobody understands. Yeah, nobody trap. sees it there. Yeah, yeah, because uh, it's something that the dogs just pick up for some reason, yeah. and it's very hard for handlers to read beforehand. Mm-hmm. And then you see the Sneaky. dog after dog after dog. And I have made a couple of mistakes in my career that I see first, like you know, four dogs, five dogs. They all all go wrong into the waves mm. but then i'm trusting that yeah yeah, yeah my yeah, dog they, won't do that just don't, yeah my dog will do that and and they'll she makes a mistake yeah so that's something that um sometimes it's good to acknowledge yeah mm-hmm. if, if you see a lot of lot of dogs because other people train their dogs and the dogs are well trained yeah. so sometimes there is a reason for that yeah so that's how the things we we might point out you know But obviously, that, that's done after the um, the course walking. Yeah, um, I think um, yeah. it is interesting when you when you walk, um, and this happens a lot more at like big competitions when you have like a lot more handlers and more skilled handlers in, in one location. But you know, sometimes when you see like so many people doing one thing and then you have like the one or two people that are not, it's like, are those one or two people just like really, really smart or are they really, really dumb? <laughs> like, are like yeah, there's that 90% of the people are doing it this way. So like, are you, do you really have a one up? But then there has been sometimes where like, that's something that I've struggled with myself in, in um, the past because I do have a lot of knowledge about courses. And so sometimes when I'll go out, I'll look at something and I'm looking at it very different than other people. And then I have to say, okay, am I just like being overly creative here, or like, am I really, am I really seeing something that like I do need to take note of? So do I trust myself and my knowledge and my dog's training, or do I just do it that way because that's what everyone else is doing? Mm-hmm. I think that that can be, and I think that that comes with experience and you know things like that before you can really make those decisions. But I think that that can be um, that can be a real challenge because course walking is really difficult. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of things that influence. Also, it could be hard to course walk when there's like a ton of people and you can't actually get into the places oh. that you want to get in and then you don't really feel um, prepared. Or I don't know whether you have to deal with this, Yako, but one thing that I suck at is when I have to, um, like some of our big competitions, we have to like walk three courses in a span of, I don't know, X amount of time, like 30 minutes or something like that. And then we... 
if I'm running, I'm okay if I'm running one dog, but back in the day when I was running multiple dogs, then I have to like walk two, walk course with two, walk three courses for two different dogs in a very short amount of time with like 50 or 60 people. And then you can't really get in and practice. And then one of those courses you don't run until like seven hours later. Like that's when the course walking becomes really difficult. And that's when I think some of the other tactics for memorizing courses um, can be very helpful. So are there any things that you do that um, help you to prepare for a course that's not actually physically watching it? Like not, not actually physically walking it, I mean. Like from like outside the ring or like any visual things. Like what happens if you, have you ever had to do a course? I'm asking you like a hundred questions right now, but I'm getting excited. Have you ever had to run a course without walking it like in a competition? Has that yeah, ever happened? Several times. Yeah, and yeah, how did you deal? Several times, especially with Zen, and I, I think one of one time I had all this like really weird track record that I I run six courses that I didn't walk. I won them all with the clean run. What? How? Yeah, exactly. That that was I was thinking, but it, it made me actually more. Um, how would I say? I would. I was more careful. Mm. You know, because I, sometimes you, you trust your dog and you trust your dog, uh, the, the course walking and whatever, and you, you might get a little bit sloppy sometimes. Mm. Um, but when you actually didn't walk it, it's much more exciting <laughs> that way. You like, you like living on the edge, though. You feel more alive when <laughs> you go there. No, actually, you, you, you need to concentrate more like on the small little details that you do it for, for the dog. And, and it, it kind of made me more, more precise, actually, back in the day. And, and nowadays, I, I think it doesn't matter that much because I'm running. I'm pr- actually practicing it because I'm so lazy. But when I go to train, I, I don't walk the courses ever. Really? I no, I just watch them from the paper and from the side, and, and then I run. So I, I probably for that reason I I don't find that too challenging because I I just do it all the time. But you're and then but, if I'm walking it, in the, and then maybe maybe then it's a, a bit easier. But but maybe that's what experience does to yeah, you. Yeah, like, I don't think everybody can do over that over the years, and you yeah. know your dog that well. Obviously, I make mistakes. Yeah. I don't run them all, all the time clean and and sometimes it's because I didn't walk it. Yeah. So it's quite often that happens that oh I, I, that obstacle was there I didn't realize or yeah. whatever. So quite often something happens because of that but um, I think we should do that in class. We should do that in class. That would be fun. That would be Here's funny. a map. You can't walk it, but you have to run it. <laughs> well, I think that that speaks to kind of what we talked about in like the first, the, our first part one um, podcast about like intuitive handling. Mm-hmm. So like if you do have a pretty good sense of your dog's speed, you know, kind of when you should turn. And I remember I said before, like you don't really think about it. Like you just, just kind of do, do it. As long as you can memorize the course and you can look at the course map or look at it from like outside the ring, you'd be like, okay, probably have to look out for that. I probably have to make sure I'm there for that for that this is what i'm doing here. yeah if you're intuitive and you have a good sense of your dog i think with an experienced dog i think it would be possible for a very experienced handler but um not easy not an easy thing to do yeah probably not we we have practiced it we have sometimes keep keep like uh, seminars or whatever that everybody need to run course without walking it yeah you know mm-hmm. just just to practice that and and uh, that sounds fun. Then also also We're one, one exercise, exercise we have tried a couple of times uh, with Yanita is really excellent at that. Is that you you kind of first do the course walking uh, with the timer with virtual dog and you time your run yeah uh, with virtual dog first and uh, then then you time it with the actual dog. Mm-hmm. And uh, because that sometimes it's uh, it can you can find some interesting things there because somebody might we have had a couple of students that the first one was so that she was six seconds ahead of her dog. Really? So she thought, yeah. So she thought that her dog was much much faster, faster. than it, it actually was. So she was six seconds ahead of the dog in the uh, the, the finish line. And that was the reason why she didn't do a lot of clean runs, mm. because her timing was so much off. And then 
you also have the other examples that people who they tend to be people who are quite often late because they think their dog is much slower. Yeah. So they, they think they are getting places ahead of the dog, but but if you if you time the virtual dog and, and then with the actual dog the run, it might be it like three, four seconds the dog is faster. And and that's then the problem. Mm-hmm. You can't your your plan is not good because you you don't know your dog well enough, and that's some that's that's a uh, skill that you can practice. Mm-hmm. And like I was saying, that Yanita was really brilliant at this, and she she has done this with um, Hitty with Hitty, which was uh, a border collie of hers, and then with Fu. Mm-hmm. And I think with with both of those dogs, she was more less than zero point two seconds off. Wow. Crazy, yeah. So it was under the difference between the virtual dog and the actual dog was uh, was less than zero point two seconds. So if you know your dog that well, mm-hmm. you can be pretty damn sure that your plan is is always spot on. Then it's all about. Yeah, just then you don't even need to walk quick. the course. Yeah, so just no. sit outside the ring and relax and just. Go in. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's a really good suggestion for people. I, I think um, implementing the idea of uh, the virtual, virtual dog, dog just in general into your course walk or even just into your practicing when you're when you're practicing at your house or in class, that would be a good thing. But um, timing the difference. I actually did that with my online students um, a month or so ago. And um, some of them were pretty good, actually. And some of them were like way off. But it was cool because it kind of like fueled a little fire in them because they were like, damn it, like I want to get right oh, on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, the, you know, it just it allowed them to like think about it a little bit more so um yeah that's really really cool um just a hint if hint for people if if somebody wants to try it what we always often do with our students we don't not necessarily put in uh, like the weaves Mm. because um, the timing of the weaves i think it takes a certain amount of time so um yeah you know it's not maybe that important because sometimes you can gain time while the dog is weaving. Yeah, depending on where um, they're coming from. And then, then obviously it would be good that you can run it clean. So it can be relatively short, like maybe 14 to 16 obstacles. Yeah. And also maybe you can try it uh, also without contact, at least without... Uh, Stop contacts, yeah. Obviously, you, you can implement them, they, those two, and maybe nowadays, because of the running dog walk, it might be more important also include yeah. the dog walk. But, um, so the point is that you could relatively easy, easily can make the uh, clean run. Yeah. So then you can, you can compare to times. Yeah, well, lots of people, like, when they run, they come out and they're like, God, I wish I could just do that again. Like, I wish I could just... Second run. Yeah, I wish I could just... I would do it so much better the second time because they were like, now I know kind of what's going to happen. Well, you literally can cheat the system and go in, run your virtual dog, and then run them a couple times in the course run. So when you run your actual dog, it would be like your third or fourth time running the course. It just happens to be the first time you're doing it with your actual dog. Um, it makes such a difference. Hey, since we're on this topic, I want you to tell the story of um, your virtual dog running overseas. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> in, at the IFCS? Yeah. yeah. So I was watch, walking um, a course, and then all of a sudden, Kale, where you were texting me, Kayla yeah. was texting me, and she's like, you can't do that there. You need to spin here and do that there. And I was like, looking around, kind, trying to figure out where. So for Kale. context, Jamie was in Italy? Yeah, I was and I was here in Canada, uh-huh. and it was like three a.m. three a.m. in the morning, and I wanted to watch her run live on the live stream, um, but the camera guy had left the 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 thing open to like watch the course walking, and so I was a watching out too. So I don't know how you figure it out. I can tell I your walk though. Oh, I couldn't okay. I couldn't see, but I could see it was you from how you were moving, and I was like, oh, she's walking the course. So I was watching her, and then as I was watching her, I was like, oh, she can't do she she shouldn't do that there. She shouldn't do that there. So then I started texting her, and I can see her stop and she's looking around because she's so freaked out as to why even though i knew that she was not there but it was just the oddest experience it was ever. so but then we did the virtual dog thing i was like okay start at one yeah and i she'd do something and then she stopped and she texts and i text back and i think our other um team members were like what what are, is going on you here texting yeah. while you're walking uh-huh. and you're like i'm talking to kale she's out she's watching us or whatever <laughs> it was so cool yeah i got a clean run you did get a clean run <laughs> you you crushed it i yeah. think 
yeah. didn't you get a silver silver medal yeah. on, at that one? Yeah. <laughs> so it does work. It does work. <laughs> I think I've done the same thing with um, Yanita as well. I was at a world championship years ago with Grand Slam, and it was his very first time. Oh, and you were messaging her? I was messaging her, and um, actually, you know that talk that you gave in part one about... Um, being, you know, risky and what that all means. Um, she she gave me a real a real what for because I was texting her and she knew my dog quite well. I was training with you guys. I was coming out to Finland quite often back then when he was young. And um, I was asking her about something and I was like, I don't know, like that's pretty risky because he was not very old and whatever. And then she's like, do you want to like, do you want to win this or do you just want to like run around like and like have like a nice little time? And I was like, I want to win. She's like, then get some balls and let, she probably didn't say that, but she's like, then go for it. Like, this is not the time to be like worried about stuff. And I was like, damn it. Okay. I'm doing this. Anyways, it was, she, she was such a great little pep talker. She like, just, she told me exactly what I needed to hear when I needed to hear it. Like get your yeah, get to your get stuff you know, together. You know what? <laughs> and get going. Um, that was awesome. Um, hey, let's talk about lead changes. There's a segue for oh, you. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Unless you how do you how do you teach someone about a lead change? So I think the dogs are doing the lead changes basically um, as a puppy. Most of the time on on their own. Yeah. So there are kind of. Um, um, three deciding factors how the dogs are uh, choosing the lead. And the first one is that they always choose the lead, uh, the, the leg to lead, which is closer to a handler mm-hmm. because they are always preparing to turn towards, towards the handler. handler. Yeah. So, so the handler side leg is always leading because of that. Then obviously the other deciding factor is the um, direction of the turn. So basically, the direction they are turning, always that leg is basically leading. Mm -hmm. And the third one, what we are kind of um, separating from those is sometimes the obstacle actually uh, dictates the leading leg. So, for example, in a curved tunnel. Mm -hmm. Forces the lead. Yeah, so it, it basically forces the lead. Or if you think about the weaves, you don't see dogs weaving like this, you know. Well, you hope not. They always... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So those are the, the deciding um, factors. Um, and you were asking about uh, teaching the lead changes. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you teach someone that when you're when they're walking a course? Oh, you mean uh, the students? Mm-hmm, the students. Yeah. So one thing you know, when you asked it, I thought you meant the dog as well. Sorry. Yeah, but that's the, a, the students. It's a good that's point. Hard. Yeah, it's a good point though because sometimes people like when I talk about lead changes, I think sometimes people will say, "Well, how do I teach my dog to lead change?" Or like, "How do I know like whether he's running on this lead or run?" Like, it's like. Okay, you don't have to watch that when you're running. Like you don't like yes. these are all things that dogs do naturally, and I think that that's a good thing for people who know nothing. If you're from the horse world, you probably know you kind of need to know about lead changes if you're going to do r- ride horses because it's super important when you're on top of the animal. But with dogs, it's not lead changes are something we've talked about for quite some bit. But there's still a huge portion of the agility um, community sport that know nothing about lead changes whatsoever, and um, so it, it is a really important thing to think about but like when you're actually running your dog through the course you don't look to see what lead they're they're running on on. (laughs) like it's not you should just know that based on where the dog is in relationship to you do you do you agree yes yes definitely yeah but then then back to your question like the easiest way to teach people about about lead changes was kind of your question. Yeah. Like, how do you, I guess you got to define the three things. The three that's, things. that's the starting point, but like where, yeah, where do you go from it with it from there? Well, maybe, maybe the easiest way is that, um, if you think about certain handling techniques. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, running on the dog's line, the dog needs to make a lead change. So we are making a difference, uh, between like the, Natural handling techniques, which which are more like natural for all the dogs to uh, to do without teaching. Yeah. And then there are um, basically some other handling moves like German turn, running the dog's line, turn uh, um, tandem turn, that re- require much more teaching for you. Actually, have to teach them for the dog. Yeah. And 
funny enough, the, the deciding factor actually in most of those is uh, the lead change. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the dogs don't do it naturally because it requires a lead change. So sometimes you can go through through that. Okay. If they are starting to learn about the techniques, you can kind of implement already a little bit of knowledge about the lead changes uh, when they are exercising, you know, just doing one technique at a time, for example. Mm-hmm. And then you can there, you can basically tell the dog a little bit to the um, student that, okay, now the dog is coming in this lead mm-hmm. and this is why we do this handling this way because the dog needs to do certain things on this obstacle or or whatever. And it's equally important to kind of um, teach them to, to dog also. So um, because that's why you see all the time like those slicing backside jumps that the dogs are struggling with them. Oh, the wraps are trouble. okay. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, the problem is that because of the lead change, if you try to find the reason behind it. Um, and nowadays I can actually see it even more because what people are doing nowadays much, much more uh, is the wrap work. Would you understand what that means? So like they teaching them to square up? Wrap. Oh, multiple wraps? No, no, no. They just wrap. Yeah. Multiple wraps. Like multiple wraps and, yep. and whatever. So what the dog learns then is the, is the kind of the dog is squaring up more easily. Mm-hmm. But w- what happens is that the, the that the dog's approach towards that type of obstacle also is to stay on that same lead mm-hmm. because that enables the dog to um, then slice to across. Square it up. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, yeah, right. To square, square it up. And then when the dog needs to slice it and you have done a ton of like multi wraps or whatever, you see a lot of problems uh, with, the, with the jumps. Because they're not the switching to the, the new lead early enough. Sorry? They're not switching to the new lead early enough then. Like if say they're coming around the jump on their right and like you've taught a lot of like right wraps, when they have to do a, a, a slice across like a German or something like that, they're not switching to the left lead early enough. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They either either they, they pass it or they jump on the left lead and then they try to change the lead on, on the bar. Yeah. With, which creates a huge problem uh, on the bar. So the bar drops quite often. Mm-hmm. Or then they do it so that they square up too much. And when they square up too much, they actually need to jump over the bar first. And then turn on the ground. On the, right. And then, uh-huh. then change the lead on the landing. Right. And that creates their own, own problems. Some dogs... Mm-hmm. Uh, there are different type of dogs that how they how they uh, problem do problem solving them mm. because they don't understand how to use their body. Right. If they are more like straightforward type of dogs, they try to change the lead on the bar, and if they are more like thinking type that they know that they can't drop the bar, but the technique is wrong, they clear the bar first because they know that they are not supposed to drop it, and then then they change the lead. Or they hesitate. I'm thinking of um, Eugene right now. Mm. With the lead change, because mm-hmm. he, like, on some of those, he, like, really... Really steps yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting. I'm yeah, literally envisioning also, the different types of dogs right now. To, you can also see some dogs, we, we are referring it as a, a duck jump. You know what that is? A duck jump? Yes. Oh, no, no. I don't know. You know what duck is? You know what duck is? <laughs> I do. I, I, I know what a I duck do know what a duck is. <laughs> can ducks even jump? I don't think maybe they jump like this. <laughs> so what, what what that means is that you, you sometimes see the dog they jump up and down so that they they keep their legs like underneath them relatively straight. Mm. It's they are just like a like bouncing a over right? it. They are like not jumping jumping straight, but they are jumping more like up and down. So that's I don't know why we just refer that they jump duck like jumping. A duck. I like it. I like yeah. it. Got it. But the reason, reason again, is the same that they, they don't know how to perform a lead change. Mm. And then they just jump in the wrong lead and they have figured out a way to just keep the bar up. Mm. But, it, yeah, well, obviously but it doesn't it's look not, nice. It's not efficient. And also those are the dogs that are more prone to get hurt because they're not, they're not using their body properly. And you're already asking them to do a pretty acrobatic thing. So if they're not jump, taking off and landing in the right spots and using the bo- right body parts... Um, 
not only might you get inefficient jumping or wider turns, but you also could have a dog that doesn't feel great yeah, because injured. they're not using their body properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the other thing that... Um, Sorry, go ahead. What, are you going to say no, it's not I just, the same it's topic? So, no, it's a, it's a great topic. I just think it's hard to teach someone about that, though, yeah. to see that. Yeah, I think the other thing that comes up a lot... Um, it, with lead changes, and I think I kind of touched on this before, but like when we're walking a course and uh, this comes up with tunnels, I find all the time, like so many people have said to me, well, the tunnel's right there. He should just take it. Well, no, that's not always the case. He should take it if it's in his path and you've said tunnel, but if the dog has to like flip away from you to take it, he should not just take it mm-hmm. unless you give him a cue to take it. But I think what people sometimes do with tunnels is they think, oh, it's a tunnel. It's easy. You know, I don't have to think about it. And um, I mean, I don't judge that much anymore. But when I when I was doing a lot of judging and uh, course designing, and I want to do this for class all the time, I one of my favorite things to do is like a sneaky tunnel entrance where I know that the dog needs to perform a lead change. I know from the design side of things that the handler actually has to use their opposite arm or whatever it is to, to run on the dog's mm-hmm. line to get there. But a lot of people don't. And then you see refusal after refusal after refusal after refusal. And people are like, what the heck? And I'm like, whoa, because it's, that's part of the challenge. But I think if people, the people who don't catch that trap are the people who understand the lead changes and they know that's actually not natural for the dog. So they actually have to go up and handle it. it. And then conversely, there's lots of times where you see a tunnel and you see an obstacle and that tunnel's like super scary. So people are like, oh God, I got to be careful. I got to be careful. But like naturally, dogs don't even look there. Yeah. Uh So, but if you know about lead changes, those things that seem really scary, they're actually more of a distraction for the person than they than they are for the dog, because to the dog, it's not that well. That's the whole thing that psychs the people out. Yeah. Yeah. But that brings me to my next point, which is um, with with this is for people who. I think what happens with our dogs, because we're so aware, and I'm sure this happens with your dogs too, Yako, is like my my dogs understand really not to lead change away from me unless they're given a cue, which means when I'm running through a course and I see something there, I, I just run past it because I truly believe they're not going to take it unless I tell them to. But I have a lot of people who they have to then handle things that really should be the natural response from the dog. So then they end up having to do 15 handling cues on a course where we have to do five or 10 or something because we know that's not a thing and that's not a thing. But if somebody doesn't recognize that and they have basically untrained the natural thing, well, now that dog's way harder to run because they're they're not following the natural thing. Am I making any sense? Yeah, no, you are. But I think it just goes back to people's um, like lack of knowledge about yeah. the changes and where they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and if if you you know there there's a lot of stuff that you can actually teach for the dog, but I always ask ask myself that if I really want to, it's not about mm. you know there is much more things that I I could teach my dog to do independently. But I don't want to because in many cases there there will be consequences, mm. you know. Whatever you reinforce, whatever type of behavior you reinforce for your dog, it always comes with a price mm. or a counter, I don't know what would be the phrase. Yeah. Um, you know, like e- easy way to understand it, that if you do a lot of distance work, for some dogs coming close is very difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or... If you get your dog to extend very easily, maybe then the collection Action. part would be the problem. So there are always... Creating like, imbalances. Yeah, exactly. And um, I feel that's kind of one, one of those that, uh, that if you don't want to handle the lead change, so you teach your dog to kind of do it more independently, then that is the behavior the dog starts to offer you more and more and more. Then you better be ready for it. And then that's why you have to do more handling. Again, again, like training issue. So Mm -hmm. do you really need that? Or you should at least be aware of consequences. But but sometimes what happens is that, um, for example, now I have had, uh, now I have a second body collie which has a, a running dog walk. So what happens is because of that, 
um, I need to add some new skills mm-hmm. um, for my daughter. Mm-hmm. Just because I, I will be more behind my You're back. You're back. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, yeah. I have a little bit of a uh, um, battery issue. Mm. So I will be behind with my dog more often. So that creates a need to teach some skills to my dog. And whether I like it or not, I need those skills. Mm-hmm. And whenever I teach them, I really don't know beforehand what will be all the consequences. I don't know it beforehand, even even though I like to think that I have a lot of experience of dog training, and agility especially, but still sometimes it's almost impossible to tell what the consequences are. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I feel that most of the people don't understand that when they reinforce some behavior, what are the consequences? Because I don't even know. Mm-hmm. But then pretty soon I, I, I realize what they are. <laughs> they come up. <laughs> I can see my dog is starting to do some weird stuff that she never did before. Yeah. But because I need that skill, then I have to kind of figure out what kind of uh, like counter training would I need to do with my dog in order to get that back in the balance. Mm-hmm. So it's not not always I can say that don't teach this to your dog, but yeah. you have to be aware of the consequences. And right. then when there are consequences, then you fix it mm-hmm. and you balance it back. Yeah. So doing the independent lead change, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But you have to be then some other handling element or or something else that will um, be affected. Be a counterbalance to that. Yeah, it brings us back to like the whole like this or that training as well. Like if you are going to be teaching like using throttle, for example, we teach a pretty independent throttle, but we need to make sure, or independent backsides even. And mm-hmm. then sometimes you see dogs, they want to go take the backside, backside and they shouldn't be. It's, that's not what's what's natural. But if you've made a big deal with your dog about going to the backside, so independently they start to think, ooh, like the backside, I'm, she I'm likes so it. good <laughs> when I do that. I get so much praise. Like this is so great. And if you're just doing that over and over and over again, and then you're not also balancing out with like the natural thing, then sometimes you can get yourself into a bit of a pickle because, you know, you've now undone something that is supposed to be natural. I think that's a really good thing to keep in mind for the people who are wanting to start to teach things a little bit more independently or whatever it might be. That's that's great, but always think about big picture. Mm-hmm. It's good to practice, but it's not good to practice if you're practicing the same thing all the time and you get start to get further away from... <laughs> you know, the easier stuff. The dog should be able to still do the natural, the thing natural things easily. Mm-hmm. Definitely. One thing about that just across my mind about the lead changes still is one, one thing that you quite often still see is that um, if there's a curved tunnel and people are outside of the curve trying to handle the dog so that they kind of need to do a... Like a backside tunnel? So the tunnel is cur- curving away from the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the tunnel is curving away from the handler. Okay. Did you, did you understand? Yes. So here is a curved tunnel. Yes. The handler is on this side and the dog is on the left. So doing like a rear... And now there, is, okay. there, yep. now there is a contradiction between the handling side. So because the dog is on the handler's left side... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The dog is basically choosing the right lead. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then when the tunnel curves to the left, the dog actually needs to perform a tunnel on the left lead. On the left lead, yep. So that when you see a lot of unexperienced dog, they, they get the refusal. Yes. They just spin spin around. Or you're doing a, um, a rear cross. Mm-hmm. That's more often because when you when you do a, perform a rear cross, the dog needs to change the lead because the dog's path is... Um, changing. Yep. So then the reason why quite often the dog jump and turn first kind of the wrong way is because they don't They know, never change leads. Okay, might might be a timing issue, obviously, but mm-hmm. but can also be because they don't understand the concept of making a lead mm-hmm. change, change. Mm-hmm. based on the uh, um, the handlers changing sides behind the dog. Yeah, we also see it in weave pull entries, dogs that um, don't rock, ba- wa- uh, rock back well, but sometimes um, if you have dogs that struggle in lead changes in other scenarios, I also see those same dogs have issues with weaves and sometimes running contacts as well. Yeah. 
um, when there's like turns or things like that because the dog just doesn't transfer back and forth very well. Like you see a lot of dogs come in um, to the weaves and then go like pull one three. It's because they don't are they aren't able to shift, shift from the left to the right. They just stay on the outside the whole time. So a lot of it's there's more more than one reason, more than it being the lead change specifically. There's lots of training that goes into it. But I do find it fascinating that you see um, issues that a lot of people think are totally different, but there's they're actually like, to them. Yeah, three yeah. totally different obstacles, but there's it's actually a core a core problem amongst them that you could improve. Super interesting. Yeah, for years and years we, we kind of did some handling choices, you know intuitively mm-hmm. so we we chose the kind of the right side to handle it but we never for years and years we didn't know why but then we when we learned about the lead changes and and the, the lead is the di- dictating factor then it all kind of clicked and made made sense yeah so you kind of knew it intuitively which side is more beneficial to handle but you never knew why and then you realize that okay the lead the dog is um, advancing. That's that's the reason. Yeah, that was huge. And now you can understand much better why the dogs are doing um, some stuff. This, this is exactly what I was mentioning. I don't remember if it was on this this episode or the last episode now, um, where I said that I was in the office with you and you were te- you were t- walking me through lead changes like years ago. That's literally what happened to me. I was like, oh my gosh, like I was making the right choices. I was crossing in the right places, but I didn't actually know why. It just happened. It was that intuitive thing. But then once the lead change thing was explained to me, I was like, oh my God, it mm-hmm. makes perfect sense. But knowing it now, it's so much easier to like look at a course, figure out where the lead changes are go- going, and then now you know where to put your crosses or you know where to put your cues, you know where the dog needs to make their turn. Um, and sometimes people will make errors in handling and they have they're like, oh, I know I need to do a front cross, but they're doing it not in the correct spot. And then that's why they get an off course because it's not working with the flow, the natural flow of the, flow of the course. Yeah. And where the dog needs to change. So it really, every, every handler, regardless of your goal, regardless of your experience level should learn about lead changes. Number one is going to make you better, but number two, it's going to keep your dog um, safer on course as well. There's going to be less crashes and bangs. You know, dogs are going to approach obstacles better. Like it, it doesn't matter. Like lead changes is not a topic for like high level people. This is like everybody should learn about it because it's just, it's going to make agility easier for, mm-hmm. for your dog, for sure. It's, it's massive. And it's a shame that it took us so long to focus on it <laughs> in this sport. And uh, also, um, all the people who are planning the courses, like judges and trainers, uh, oh, yes. also be really, really important. More they understand about the lead changes, it's, it, it gives a better structure how to uh, design a, a good flowing mm-hmm. course. Yeah, and the more you know about it too, the more interesting you can you can make courses. Like, yeah, because sometimes courses don't need to be. I think sometimes people think that you need to have like all these like fancy turns and things like that to make a course challenging, but that's that's not the case. You can you can provide challenges for um, handlers that are open and flowy and fast, but if you have a better sense of how the flow goes. I don't know if you have this problem, Yoko, but when I'm course designing, one of the things that I find. Um, I struggle with, and this is not going to sound like a struggle, but it is, but I'll design, I'll design a course and I'll look at it. And, um, sometimes I say to myself, this is too flowy. <laughs> like, and I don't, I, I don't mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. Like, I think sometimes because I'm always thinking about how like this would transition to that, I almost think that now I've not made it hard enough mm-hmm. because like, it's too, it's too nice. But cause I'm always thinking like, about the dog and like to make it nice Nicer for their for body. The um, but do you ever find that you I mean your, your courses are awesome. Like they're um, very creative, lots of flow, but do you ever look at something and be like, mm, I really could like make this harder? Yes. Definitely. Really? I'm, oh, cool. The same. Yeah. I, I have definitely the same problem. My, my Neat. courses have way too much, too much flow. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, it's a good problem I, to have, I, but I think, I, I think I have a really hard time because, uh, Sometimes creating challenges that involve a lead change can also create 
a bit of the risky place for the dog. Yeah. And that's the thing I'm struggling for because I'm kind of constantly, you know, thinking that if the people, the handler doesn't understand that the dog need, she needs to cue a lead change here. It might that be. That puts the dog in a very bad yeah. place. Mm-hmm. And your risk, risk may be a slip falling um, on landing or something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, or hitting hitting the side of the right. of the tunnel or mm-hmm. or whatever, and that definitely that's not something you want to see. No. And then I kind of feel already half responsible if I have designed a course like that. Mm-hmm. But then exactly that happens. It, it just you know then if the dog just know how how to advance away from the handbar then the handlers get it too easy. Mm-hmm. The flow is like too good. Yeah. It just can send that the dog, dog's line to every obstacle is perfect. That mm. um, the handler practically has, doesn't have to do almost anything. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely, definitely have been struggling with the, with the same. So maybe that's true. They always say that more, you know, more it creates pain. Uh, that's true yeah Yeah. i know that is it sometimes jamie and i joke about like we wish that we didn't know so much because sometimes when we watch um dogs do agility and like see their movement and things like that we often go like "Ugh, i really wish i didn't know what i knew because it would make watching this a lot easier and then sometimes i feel obligated to say something i know it's so hard it's a hard hard thing but i do think i mean we um there's just been such awesome information about courses in general here. Like we could talk for way more hours, I know, because there's just so many things. And I, I wish I wish that people um, would be uh, as passionate about it as we are, because I think so many people are so focused on like the dog training, and they they forget there's like a whole other world of our sport that literally isn't even about running the dog. It's about like learning about how courses are pieced together. And maybe that's not interesting for everybody, but I find it so, so, so fascinating. So I have an online course, uh, online program that I do. And once a month, I do like a deep dive on a course where I talk about all of these things. And like, it's my favorite lesson of the month because I love it. I love the design part of it. I love like talking through all of the details. I don't know if everybody else loves it as much as I do, but like I look forward to it so much. It's such, um, I find it so fascinating to learn about how it works. And I feel that it like having a more thorough understanding has made me improve as a handler, um, as a coach, as a course designer, all of those things have improved because of raising my knowledge in like an entirely different, entirely different side of things. So I think, I think it would be really good for other people to, to invest some time into learning because I think it could change, change things for Mm -hmm. them a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to know that when, when we see each other again, do you think that we can replicate our, um, our like romance movie moment that we had at worlds years ago? Do you remember? That was yes, of course I do. Aww. Yeah, he's so cute. I was like, uh, we were out. I forget where were we in, in WAO Netherlands, I think, right? And we hadn't seen each other for a few years. And I knew that you were somewhere on the property, but I was like warming my dog up. And we were in, like, I was in this barn at like the far end. I was like 200 feet. And I see Yako ride by on his bicycle, like uh, along the road. And I like yelled and he passed. And then, like, I didn't see him. And I was like, oh, I thought maybe he didn't hear me. And then you see the bike back up. He drops the bike. And then we run from my. Either end oh. of the uh, barn, and then we hug. I was like, "This is absolutely ridiculous." <laughs> but we hadn't seen each other for so long, and it was just so nice to see. But I can't, I can't wait till we can do that again. <laughs> it was so fun. Well, do you have any more words of wisdom for us? I'm sure you do. Well, I shouldn't even ask you that question <laughs> because I, I know that you do. Yeah, now, now we need, we need to do a part three. Yeah, we could do a part, pod three, but maybe not today. <laughs> well, um, it wasn't so bad, was it? See, once we get you talking, you you just fall into your fall into your rhythm. Yeah, you yeah, got a lot of knowledge rolling uh, around up there. With the right subject and with the right people, it's it's not so hard. Yes, that I am Yep, 
Yeah, well, um, well, we appreciate you uh, joining us today so much. So much. Yeah, I, um, I think that uh, I think people are going to love these two episodes. I think that there's so much to learn for any level of um, agility. Uh, agility got my wheels turning already. Me too. I'm actually thinking of all kinds of things we can do in class and and that type of thing. It's um, it's good to kind of refresh yourself in mm-hmm. like some of these some of these things because I think it's easy good reminders. Yeah, to not think about it as much, and it's uh, it's really great. Anyways, thank you so much, Yako. What time is it there now? Is it late? I have no idea. Mm. Uh. Seven hours ahead of you. What yep. time is there? Oh, you're going to make me do math. It's 9.30 there. 9.30 p.m. That's not too bad. Oh, that's not bad. Yep. All right, Yako. Well, thank you so much. And um, we will uh, we will talk again soon. We'll have to think of another deep dive that we can uh, go into. But um, I'm sure there's lots. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There's no shortage, but um, thank you so much. And uh, again, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, make sure you subscribe because we have lots of, have lots of things we've put out already, which is good, but we have a lot of great things, a lot of topics coming. Um, there's a lot of talking that we do after our training. That's why we call it the after class podcast, because this is when all the, this is when all the magic happens. This is when all the <laughs> development and the dissecting and the conversation and the Back and forth. debates happen. This is when all the juicy stuff happens. And that's why we wanted to create this to share it with you so thanks a lot for listening and um hope to see you in the next one thanks for listening to our mccann dogs agility podcast if you'd like to learn more about us check out the links in the show notes below on that note happy training